On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. And as the fine lady says, yes, your team every day, um, you, the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one daily podcast network. Um, guys, it, it, it's been fun here, and we're going to be able to open things up as we, you know, get through the end of this regular season. Look, guys, playoffs are not. Uh, obviously, it's a mountain of a hill to climb. It's essentially a lottery ticket at this point, but it doesn't escape from anything that we're shooting for here. Eight seven and one. Um, you can go four one and one in your division. You can go into the off season like we've been saying now for almost a month, being in knowing in your own head you feel that you are at worst the second best team in the AFC North going into twenty nineteen. Still a head coach to be hired. Uh, free agency, draft choices, free agents who may actually want to come to Cleveland, not just for the check, because they just want to come for the ride. So it's going to be a lot of fun stuff going on here. Uh, still two games to cover. Um, we're able to open it up a little bit. Um, you know, Normally we stick to the schedule, and, it, and it's provided well, guys. Um, Locked on Browns, we, we went inside the top 200 this week uh, for sports and recreation podcasts. For a team-specific show, that, that, that's very impressive. It just shows how much you guys appreciate the work we're putting out, and, and I could not be more thankful. It, it means the absolute world to me, and we're enjoying every ride of it. Um, Instagram now, the Lockdown NFL Network. You can find us there. You get snippets of the shows, finds, you know, if, if that's just another avenue you're looking, Facebook, the Lockdown NFL Network there as well, guys. Please go ahead and follow those. The iTunes ratings and reviews. Always a huge, huge pleasure. Um, a guy I you know, interact with a lot on Twitter and, you know, actually, um, football, basketball-wise, very relevant in the writing game. Uh, Kevin Cole uh, does work over at uh, Roto Grinders, a director of data and analytics, does a fantastic job. Um, he loves to talk Browns, and he's always in with whether it's me, Jake Burns, or whatever the other guys. But Kevin Cole, I'm glad you were able to join us here this evening. Hey, I'm happy, happy, happy to be, be here. here. Uh, uh, we were talking earlier today about the fact that being attached to Browns content, which you wouldn't expect, uh, I think is going to be like a rocket ship coming up here in these next few years. So I'm kind of glad that I got in in the bandwagon also. It's not a a longtime fan and analyst, but it's definitely the most interesting team for me. And uh, I'm hoping going forward that we can continue this trend of the team improving. And when when, when I – because uh, I had done a lot of work. And then up until about um, late 2016 – my wife's father-in-law, you know, some of the listeners know this, uh, he, he was very sick and he was, you know, eventually going to pass. So it was just like full time. She needed to be there. She needed to take care of him. So like everything I was doing just kind of had to go back burner. You know, I, you know, I have two girls. And then when I was like, all right, I, I think I'm ready to go back and I want to do something completely different. And I even remember telling my wife, uh, I was like, yeah, I, I'm going to cover the Cleveland Browns on a podcast 20 to 30 minutes on a daily basis. And this was, you know, last September. What are you doing? Seriously? Is this what you're going to do? And it was like, you want to know what? I mean, I can talk a lot of draft, which I love. It's a young team. There's good players there. And then now here we are a calendar year later, and you start to see the fruits of the labor. And, you know, know, look, Sashi Brown, you can appreciate. It's not John Dorsey's fault that Sashi Brown isn't here anymore. But you're seeing all the culmination of, you know, some hard work from one guy and what the other guy's been able to add to it. But, Kevin, this is a really, really fun product, and you see it week in, week out. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Baker, he gets the shine. That's fine. Miles Garrett gets the shine. Primetime game in Denver, and, you know, a lot of us have been saying, look, Jabril Peppers is playing some real good ball, and you get so many that only look at what they look at and what's in, on your ESPN app or what's in the newspaper, 
And then Jabril Peppers says the whole world in front of a national stage, hey, what's up? Take a look at me. Yeah, I mean, the thing about this team is I think you saw this a lot in the NBA with a team like the Philadelphia 76ers is when you have – when a team grows, when they become better, it doesn't happen on a linear path. You don't go from zero wins to two wins to four wins to six wins and so often. I mean, especially with a team like the Browns, we had so many young players who were brought in either late um, in 2016. I mean, you essentially cleared the decks in 2016. Uh, brought in all these new guys in, in 2016 through the draft. 2017, you had three first-round picks, second-round picks, all these different guys. And those guys had gone from zero experience last year to one year of experience. You have other guys who've gone from one year to two years, and you bring in now the biggest draft class as far as the amount of draft capital that they spent in 2018. Then you start layering in the veterans and others. That's why you're seeing this sort of jump. I mean, we'll see where the expectations are next year. I think it's realistic that they should be a playoff competitive team with Baker Mayfield there with the right veteran additions. But at the same time, you know, it could be a year where it's a little bit more flat. You know, I'm hoping for that big jump. But basically what you're seeing is when you have a team that's that young with guys like like Jabril Peppers where you say, oh, you're not seeing anything from them. Well, that's because they were very, very young and they were put into roles immediately where you wouldn't necessarily see this on a lot of different teams. So those guys are maturing. and, And when you get from zero to one year of experience, that's a huge jump. And you and you see with everybody, and you see like different dimensions of the game. You know, Miles Garrett. Yeah, the great step has always been there his entire life. But now you see he's a little bit smarter, and he's able to use some hand manipulation, and you know he's able to realize that he can just out athlete somebody. Not somebody where as long as they do not create contact, he's got the ability to move his hips and just beat somebody. Larry Ogunjobi, you know, another guy late to the game, doesn't even really understand fully what he's doing yet. But there's times where you see like he's been able to put a move or two together and you see how much effort they're putting in off the field and with watching tape and just a, a lot of bunch of raw athletes and Jabril Peppers, you know, the first year was kind of a waste. You know, I can understand athletically, hey, we're just going to put you back there. You're the last line of defense. But then you see and you go back, well, this is where he was always good and you see that type of thing. Um, but Kevin, look, the biggest thing here is number six and... Everybody, all with a culture change and this, that, and the other thing. And look, this guy came in and said, "Look, from what I know, this team has always sucked. I have no plans on sucking." And apparently, fifty-two guys were kind of like, "Yeah, we don't want to be any part of that. Let's go." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it helps when you have the talent that Baker Mayfield has. You know, it's interesting because, you know, from an analytics uh, standpoint, you probably couldn't find a better prospect than Baker Mayfield. The the big question mark going into the draft process is. Where where was he going to be drafted? Because no matter how much you like guys, there are guys that have put up these eye-popping numbers before. If they're not drafted very high, uh, often they don't work out. And I think that this was a, a special case of draft prognosticators in the media being way behind where the NFL was on Baker Mayfield. I mean, not only did he go number one overall – Uh, There's strong evidence, I believe, that the Jets were targeting him when they moved up to number three. Um, They felt felt comfortable. They knew that, and and this was the thing in New York here, because obviously I'm in New Jersey, Kevin. The Giants said, once Gettleman took over, we believe Eli Manning has years, years of good football. This was on so many major outlets. It was like, okay, you guys are in love with Saquon Barkley. And the Jets, obviously they're neighbors. Okay, so we get the second best quarterback Regardless of who it is, at three, okay, we're in. And and that's kind of how it worked out because the Giants, I mean, even if you loved Barkley, at least 
try to be quiet about it, and maybe somebody would have jumped to two. You could have gotten Barkley at three or four, but the Giants. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, Gettleman had never traded back once, so I guess he's not. He was he wasn't starting this time because it's interesting because I remember watching there was a a documentary uh, on on Baker and kind of behind the scenes, and his agents were saying the worst case scenario was three, so he knew from the Jets that they were interested. Uh, in going there for three, uh, they also said that the Patriots were interested in trading up, which is which is interesting. Uh, you know, Sean McVay, when he was interviewed over the off season, he said, you know, Goff's my guy, but if I didn't have Goff, I would do whatever I could to get to get Baker Mayfield. Um, Dorsey said after the draft, there was a team who wanted to trade up to four. The only team that wanted to give up a first round pick to trade up to four, but it was contingent on Baker Mayfield being there at four. So it seems like this was a love affair throughout the NFL that a lot of uh, people outside the NFL missed. Um, and what it is though is is the way these offenses are run. I mean, you know, and this is where we've all had to calibrate our thinking. You know, two years ago, a guy like Baker Mayfield for me was like, a, a, well, no, I mean, you know. Oh, well, maybe he's the next Russell Wilson. No, no, I mean, eh, eh. But the way these offenses are run, where, I mean, you're, as soon as you get the shotgun snap, you know, I mean, your first read before you even set is what you're looking for, and then quick to your second, third, fourth. These six foot five, 240-pound guys, they're at a disadvantage. You're looking for guys who play in Saturday night when I was watching this. I, I went to a Christmas party. I've gone to the same Christmas party for a few years. And uh, my, my friend who has the Christmas party, his actual brother-in-law was a kid who played football for me years and years ago. And we were talking about it, and he's like, no, you want second baseman, you want shortstops. And normally in the social settings, and I'm sure you go through this too, some of these parties where they're friends, it's like, well, man, I really don't want to talk sports. Because, you know, <laughs> some who don't follow it or, you know, critique it or as deep in as we are, don't kind of get the angle we're coming from, so you kind of just keep your opinion to yourself. But he's like, no, you're looking for the middle infielders. He's like covering second bases, moving the ball as quick as you. And I was just like, oh, Matt, I missed you. It's been great to see you. Know, it's great to see you again. But like, he understood it that, you know, being a little shorter and a little bit more compact in your motion is an advantage in today's NFL. Yeah, I think there's that. I think there's also. You know, a narrative that's probably true around these guys having played baseball and the fact that uh, being able to throw on the run is extremely important, especially when you see the mobility. And you're seeing guys like, you know, Jared Goff, he's had he's had a great year. But then once you get that pressure, he isn't performing it the same way. So I think when, when you're seeing Pat Mahomes, you're seeing Baker Mayfield, you're seeing him moving to especially to their left and how well they're able to yep. throw. I mean, that's that that's that's playing shortstop, basically. And it's, you know, and it's just, you know, I mean, and now all of these kids, they play everything. Well, I mean, there's some that are centralized, which there should never be. But, I mean, you know, you start up, you start, you know, at four, five, six years old. It's soccer. It's basketball. It's baseball. You're always out there constantly, you know, just doing something. And eventually, you know, you find your groove. And if you're a really good athlete, you excel in one of them. But it's just one thing you see here. Uh, guys, uh, you know, we are uh, breaking it down here on Locked on Browns. We have gone through some, you know, uh, some Baker Mayfield, some early Browns thoughts. We're going to get to a little bit more here, some NFL thoughts here with Kevin Cole. Appreciate him coming on. But the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson. Matt does a great job over there. Uh, Monday shows. I was on this Monday. It's, uh, you know, hosts just like myself breaking down the weekend's action. You get, uh, you know, you get Sage Rosenfels, former NFL quarterback with all the young NFL talent in the league right now. Obviously, Sage is a great guy who can kind of help you through that. Matt does his PFF show on Wednesdays. You get Mike Renner for that. Thursdays, you get Mike Sando from ESPN. Uh, Friday, Matt breaks uh, sits down and breaks down the entire uh, uh, pick schedule for the NFL. Um, you know, use mybookie.com. Sometimes it helps with the wagering. If he likes Matt Pitt and Matt's picks, he's fantastic with that. But uh, the Locked On NFL, pod, uh, NFL podcast with Matt Williamson 
it's it's definitely a must follow, guys. And uh, Matt's a good guy here. He's good to all of us. Always appreciative, and you know, tries to find a way to include everybody, even the teams that aren't winning so much. Even though the the Browns guys seems to be front page news, and everybody wants to talk about it. Uh, Kevin, I just you know anything else you want to hit on here, Browns wise, and we're going to hit some league wise. But I mean, it seems to be like the perfect combination of roster building, and we're not going to get into who's doing the work, but. <laughs> The legwork, whether it's the quarterback and then it's you have a running back. Well, you have two running backs. You have some tight ends. You know, the offensive line for the most part is kind of filled out. But you have a stud at D, you know, two studs on the D line. Uh, you have a middle linebacker who kind of plays like a 1980-ish guy that he will just make a ton of plays. You know, sometimes he'll get out athlete, but he's an absolute true leader. You have a, a stud young rookie cornerback. You found a strong safety. You found a free safety. You've hit on like the biggest needs at each positional group. Now it's just finding a way to kind of tie everything together. Yeah, I think it's a, there's there's really a short term and a long term plan. So in the short term, the way the salary cap works is you have money you can roll over. Um, but over a four-year period, you're supposed to do as much spending as anyone else. Now, the Browns are going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million, I believe, in cap space. Um, they're going to have to decide. Yeah, that's going to probably put that money right about there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I guess it's even it's even possible he could be retained. But yeah, they have an out on him where they only they only take a four and a half million dollar hit, I believe. So, so but you're gonna have to decide. Okay, 2016 class guys like Ogba, others. Do we what do we want to do with them? What do we want to do in free agency? And then the following year, you know, what are we gonna do for the 2017 and then the 2018 guys after that? So those are those are questions that are a little bit more into the future. And I think. As silly as it sounds, um, hitting on draft picks brings its own problems. If you see what's happened with certain teams, in particular teams like the Seattle Seahawks, where they had to figure out what they're going to do or what they aren't going to do. And those are really hard questions to to answer, but we're not going to have to worry about that for a couple of years. I think in this next year, it's going to be about where do you spend the money? Because generally, free agency you're not getting you're you're not getting bang for your buck in free agency generally, or else the they would have been re-signed by their own teams in, in most circumstances. Or, I mean, you or, hit, or it comes with a, a caveat. It comes with a worry aspect to it. Or yeah, or, or you can get guys who are coming off of down years. You can get guys who've been injured. Dallas Cowboys defensive lineman, for example. Do you want to spend the big money knowing that these guys are risks that they may end up missing six to eight games? Yeah, so I mean, when the Browns are going to have the money to outbid anyone, and for the first time in a long time, they're going to have an attractive destination. So the two of those things coming together, I mean, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. You don't want to overextend yourself, so I think that that is a concern. And uh, but at the same time, with rookie quarterbacks, with the contracts that that they have vis-a-vis what they're going to have to be signed in the future, I mean, you kind of have to attack that window now. I mean, if you look at a team like the Rams, they're probably never going to be better than they are this year from a talent standpoint, uh, just considering the fact that Gurley and Donald are on their cheapest years of their deals. Goff's going to have to be re-signed. You have guys like Sue and others who are going to leave. I mean, Sue's a name that the, the Browns may take a look at, quite honestly. So, so I, 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 I think like, he's one, like a Sheldon Richardson type, one of these guys where it's going to be a big, maybe one or two-year deal and a lot up front before you extend everybody else. 
I think that's the key. I think the key is get them on a deal that you can really put as much money up front as possible. Uh, you have it as a kind of a glorified two-year type of deal, and that that's going to work extremely well with the Browns. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too patient because this is really a time. I think I think you gotta you gotta get in between. You gotta say I want to attack now, strike while the iron is hot. At the same time, don't trade away too many picks and other things for veterans because then you won't have the pipeline of young players a few years down the road. Well, and that's the thing because you know that's the part they've excelled in. You know whether it was the you know Garrett Najoku Peppers group. Or Baker and Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward. You know, Corbett, look, I mean, you know, complete mystery at this point because he hasn't taken many NFL snaps, but you feel pretty confident in, you know, other than the injury, if one of your interior linemen, O linemen went down, it wouldn't be that much of a drop off if he went in. You know, maybe they thought he could play some tackle and maybe that's where they missed on it. But even still, it seemed from what you saw from the preseason as it progressed. He's a serviceable, serviceable guy, but then you have four picks in the first three rounds, and this is where you know you seem to be doing well. And now it's a uh, okay. We're gonna pinpoint our top two, three players at whether it's cornerback, offensive tackle, linebacker, or whatever, and you're able to not just draft to hope you're getting building blocks, but just draft to say, oh, well, this is the guy that we think to kind of fit in over here. It's kind of like, you know, like like the odd plant you just need in the corner of the room. Like, all right, we think he's good enough and he'll do the job and it'll look beautiful over in the corner. Yeah, I mean, I think that the strategy for this year uh, and this offseason has to be you're, you're, you're kind of building from free agency to the draft. I mean, that's the... That's the order of events that you're going to see most of the time. So you have to identify what, what positions can we find in free agency and then think about the draft as far as the guys that you can't get out of value in free agency. I mean, I know there's going to be a lot of focus on offensive tackle, for instance, for the Browns. Now, can you find serviceable offensive tackles in free agency? Mm-hmm. Not really, quite honestly. I mean, uh, it's it's very, very difficult. So that may be something where you put in the draft bucket as opposed to defensive line, like I mentioned, Sue or some others that you may be able to, to take or a look at. if you at really want to get nuts, a guy like Grady Jarrett, I mean, as much as he loves the South and you know that you know where he grew up, where he came from, uh, how does $40 million guaranteed at, at a prime age feel to come to Cleveland? Yeah, all right, well, I'll bring my family with me then. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's at least a possibility, right? Where, where I, I don't think, I mean, Whitworth is probably one of the few signings that you've seen do well, and he was, you know, in his mid-30s at the time, so there was a reason for that. Um, so I, I feel like you probably have to target those those positions that you're that you're not able to bring in in free agency. I mean, tackle or something like that is is, is going to be part of it, but. Um, generally, I just think you don't want to you don't want to overextend yourself. And I, I just I know that the I know that the Eagles and the Rams have been big about trading picks for veterans, but I would just be very careful about doing that when, when we're when we're talking about um, second round picks or other things like that because I, I do think you can damage yourself by not having that pipeline to fill in, and, and we'll see where those teams end up a year or two from now. Well, I mean, with the Rams, it is a little bit different because they do kind of have you know kind of like foundation in place. The Eagles mm-hmm. is more like, oh, we're just going to try and hopefully we can get to the Super Bowl again. And now with Carson Wentz injured again, and now everything, it's like, well, you know, what are you going to build with? And you know, Golden Tate, that's great and it's fantastic. And but right now, I mean, would you rather have that draft choice back if you were the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, they probably. I mean, this whole thing about the the comp picks and this and that. I mean, that that's fine. But you know, a, a year later. 
however many picks uh, you know later it's going to be. It's not going it, to. Who knows what Golden State is going to be signed for? It could be anywhere from 15 to 30 picks later in the draft. That that extra year of development is going to take. I mean, these aren't the. Free but he was moves brought back for one there. reason. He was brought back to hopefully be a playoff piece to get to a Super Bowl again. Right. The fact that he's going to be out the door within what two and a half months, I guess. Just you know, yeah. I mean, maybe it's the same. Maybe it's that we both like Sashi. We looked at the draft work, and like you know, maybe you think about. I mean, for me, it's thinking about three, four years of a guy, as opposed to thinking about three, four months. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think th- th- what will be interesting to see is at the wide receiver position in particular, because that's another one where free agency is fairly thin. Um, is there going to be a trade of some sorts? I mean, we have seen somewhat successful names move via trade i mean brandon cooks has been traded multiple times uh for first round picks in in the past you saw sammy watkins get traded to the rams and then they basically let him go the next year and things like that so i think that that's another area where i'd be a little bit concerned because it is the playbook for your rookie quarterback the playbook is See what you got first year, second year. Just throw as many weapons at them as possible to try to to try to build up that investment. So th- that'll be another interesting uh, uh, another interesting plot point to see where the Browns go. And and this is the fun part. And you know, guys, with the extra show this week with the Saturday game, um, you know, Kevin and I know with the analytical and the data analysis that he does over at Rotor Grinders, it's fun to bring him on here. And you know, I, hopefully, we're going to get him on here a couple times in the off season because you know, guys, this is one of my passions with the game is the roster building and the overall fifty three. Um, you heard a lot of that, you know, last fall. This year, obviously, with some real football to cover and some successful football, it's been able, you know, fun to do that part as well. But you know, the off season, look, as much as I hope the, you know, the Browns play deep into January, I do enjoy the off season talk as well. Kevin does a fantastic job, like I said, guys, over at Roto Grinders, Locked On Cavaliers, Chris Manning, um, kind of similar guys, as I always tell you, to what we were going through last year in seventeen here with the Browns. So Chris Manning does a great job covering Lacto- uh, on Locked On Cavaliers covering you know the process and in, in where it's going to be from you know LeBron coming back winning the championship and stripping everything down and starting new but Chris Manning uh, does a fantastic job locked on Cavaliers guys make sure for all of my Cleveland fans it is in your daily rotation before we start to put a bow on this Kevin I want to get a little bit here now look it seems a little weird the way the season is closing almost contender wise. Um, you know, uh, you know, Kansas City obviously dealt a huge blow where they had to remove themselves from the Kareem Hunt situation. Uh, the Rams, another one of everybody's darlings the last two weeks. <gasps> What's going on? Uh, New England stumbling late in the year. And so it, it's going to be interesting. It, you know, this could be a year where, you know, maybe a four, five C's finds their comfortability and gets a nice run. Yeah, I mean the the NFL is always the the least predictable in the playoff stretch, mainly because of the fact that you have a one game uh, game playoffs for all these different teams. But you're right, the strength that people thought they were going to see with a lot of Saints teams. Saints are another one. I'm sorry, Saints are another one. Yeah, Saints are another one. I mean, it, it's interesting. You, you fear you wouldn't think the Saints would be disappointing this year, but they have been disappointing on defense as compared to where they were. So I, I think what you're not seeing anywhere at this point is a team that is complete, a team that's a top ten team. In offense and in defense, people thought that the Rams could be that type of team. People thought that the Minnesota Vikings could be that that type of team. 
Uh, people did not think the Jacksonville Jaguars could be that type of team, but they definitely thought they could be that type of team on defense. And so there's a lot of lot of defensive teams that have fallen off. And the the great offensive teams, uh, the, the great defensive teams that you have out there, uh, the Chicago Bears, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, so many questions on offense. So I think you're right. It, it's going to be really interesting to see to see what ends up happening. And there are a handful of teams on each side that can take it all the way. Well, that was the thing, because Dallas, that was the... And that was the one yesterday. It was like, all right, everybody's kind of like, all right, we're believing. You know, Amari Cooper's there. He's stabilizing the passing offense. And you go into Indianapolis, which, look, you know, not a slate on the Colts. They've been playing well, but nothing. I mean, Dallas brought nothing to that table yesterday. Seattle, you know, oh, Seattle, like nobody wasn't really sure about you. We're starting to believe. And, you know, the second week in a row, a team with aspirations went to San Francisco and left out looking like schmucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think those those teams are, are are very good generally. I mean, I like Russell Wilson a lot. I just don't think they're 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 not really un, they're not unleashing him very much over there. I mean, I know it's been working what they're doing with the running game, so that's why I'm more confident in some of the the offensive powerhouse teams. I mean, if there is a team that can win in any situation, I feel like the Chiefs of Patrick Mahomes could probably do that. So that's why I I, I think they and the Saints are probably one two. The Saints, if they can get Home field advantage. I feel like they're probably the strongest bet to win the Super Bowl. Um, otherwise, I- I'm saying the Chiefs mainly because I just don't think the teams like like the Patriots are the team that they used to be. So, if it were a Rams, uh, a Rams Saints NFC playoff game for you, you feel that it would be necessary to be in the Superdome. I think so. I mean, it's not really going to matter. Uh, it's just not going to be poor weather in a place like nah, like Los Angeles, I mean, yeah. for instance. But uh, I, I, I just think that the, the a Rams team, if golf is not being pressured, is going to be tough to beat at home. I mean, they, they, they should be a, at least at least a slight favorite in that sort of cir- circumstance. So I think so. I mean, I know that golf has has looked really bad, but, you know, Breeze has had his, his down moments also. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is the only quarterback this year who has looked good to great every single game that he's played. And, and that, that's it's going to be the thing, though, because. Now, Mahomes, this is now, I mean, look, this year, as fantastic as it's been, is going to be a whole new world. You know, playoffs, everything's going to be different. I mean, everybody, I mean, they are going to throw the kitchen sink at him. How he responds, you know, look, and Andy Reid, obviously, you know, he has his critics throughout this as well. But, I mean, when you can drop 50 and almost not break a sweat, that's something you got to be concerned about. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I pile on Reed a lot. I feel like they need to they need to hire someone who's standing next to Andy Reed at all times who tells him when to take a timeout, when to go for it on fourth down, when some of these situational things. I mean, you know, they've lost three games this year. Um, they've lost by a combined seven points. In each of those games, they chose to either punt or kick a field goal with fourth and less than three, sometimes less, sometimes two yards to go with this Chiefs offense. I mean, I, I just feel like sometimes uh, uh, these guys really are, are kicking themselves. And that's an offense where, you know, you're going to have to just turn it loose. I feel like if you turn it loose, he, uh, Mahomes is going to make mistakes, but he's going to do so many good things that over the course of a game, if you get enough possessions, uh, you have a chance to win there. I mean, I have them rated as the number one offense in the NFL. Uh, it's close with the Saints, but they're much better running the ball. 
Um, and the Saints' offense, a lot of it, a lot of their success. I mean, not not a ton of it, but the the differential between them and others passing the ball has really been piling on in games like against the Eagles um, and against the the Redskins earlier this year. So so I, I feel like the Kansas City has the strongest offense, but I just hope that Reed doesn't 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 play conservatively like he's done a few times this year. And that's part of where we come to. And it was the the fourth and one with Nick Chubb on Saturday night. Um, you know, you took a risk to lose the game. Lose the game with your best offensive player having the ball. And every time I see Taysom Hill, look, Taysom Hill, fantastic. It's a great story. But you got Drew Brees. You've got Alvin Kamara. You've got Mark Ingram. You've got Michael Thomas. Make sure if you're going to possibly lose a game, it's because you lost because your best players did not get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in some of these situations, what's discounted heavily. I mean, I, I did a, a back in the envelope uh, analysis on what the Browns did uh, by going forward on fourth down. So I, I just took league average rates. I said, okay, here's here's your league average fourth and one conversion rate, which is up around you know over seventy percent. Here's your assumption for whether you're going to win or not. If you make, I mean, if you make it, it's game's over. So it's a hundred percent chance of winning. But the, I think what people discount is even if you don't make it, you have a you have a decent chance of winning still. And we saw that happen for for the Browns. And even if you kick the field goal, you still have a decent chance of losing if yes. the Broncos can go down and score a touchdown. I mean, they're going to be playing with all four downs the entire time that that, that they're going down. So I think people overlook that. So. That's the thing that's overlooked in these situations. It's not necessarily like you have to be aggressive. You don't have to be aggressive. I feel like that's one thing that comes into play when people think about analytics is always always go for the two-point conversion, always go on fourth down, and that's not the case. And I, I, We've seen a lot of coaches this year um, choose to do something hyper-aggressive, and which doesn't make sense because they're, they're not doing the, the right aggressive thing, but, they're, but then they're doing the wrong aggressive thing. In this case, when you have a chance to end the game, and, it, and we're talking about north of 75% chance of ending the game, then you do it. I think this was somewhat analogous to early in the year um, against the Raiders, where there was even a better situation. Although they're on their own side of the field, they had an inch to go at, at that point. Um, where a lot of people thought that they picked up the first down anyway with Carlos Hyde, but they didn't give it to him. So it, it, in that situation, was, yeah, you, you could say you, thirty, but that's just me. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> so, but you you could say, oh, we're we're up by you know eight points, so if we kick it away, they have to do this, they have to do this, they have to do that. Well, you know what? You go for it. You should you should you get it. The game's over. Even if you don't get it, they still need to score a touchdown and they still need to get a two point conversion. Yes, that there's less field position, but they still need to do all those things. And that's what that's what people don't quite understand um, when, when we're talking about these situations. When you have the chance to end a game, um, the the odds are skewed so much in the favor of of choosing that option. And that's that's what the Browns uh, had a chance to do, and uh, it, it didn't work. But it doesn't mean it wasn't the right call. And- you know, and, and that's just that. You know, it's gonna it's gonna come up, and it's gonna come up more. And you started to see it once. It was Greg and Freddie, and I think part of it is was Greg is. Don't worry, I always think my defense is gonna stop him. And so, go ahead, go for it, go for it, go for it. And obviously, there was you know a couple instances of it on this Saturday night, and that's the part I think everybody's enjoying. And you know, with whether or not Greg Williams stays or not, you know. I think there's a lot caught up in oh, just leave everything the way it is, and but you're basing you know your entire future for four to five years based on something that you've seen over eight weeks. Yeah, you probably probably. I mean, it's one of those things where I think it's like a heart and head sort of situation. If the Browns continue to win, uh, there's going to be a lot of hearts uh, pointing towards keeping things going that the way they are. 
but I think the head is probably saying let's do a very thorough search. And when you're in a position that the Browns are in this offseason with the hype, with Mayfield, and like I said, all these positive feelings about Mayfield throughout the league and, and throughout the college ranks, um, if they decide to go there, uh, I, I feel like this is going to be a very attractive opportunity, despite the fact that some people may be wary of what's happened with the Haslam's in, in the past. You know, I think this is a different situation, and you, 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 you hit your wagon to Baker Mayfield if you have the chance. And I think with the with the Haslam's, I think it was trying to re- create a product, trying to create a product, trying to create a product. Now it's wow, and you know these people, and I mean they are successful in business for a reason. Now they realize they have a product, and you know so you know maybe you can figure that they will change. It shouldn't be about what they want; it's about what's best business wise. You know, that was their calling card is, you know, obviously as business people, you would not be NFL owners otherwise. Uh, guys, Kevin Cole was kind enough to join us here from Rotor Grinders. Does data, does analytics, was absolutely fantastic. I was glad I was able to get him in here. Um, I, I'm going to try to do a show a day here um, with the way the show has grown here, um, with the regular guests here. You know, obviously, you know, I want to have them on. We want to, you know, I want to, you know, wish them well in the new year and all that stuff. Uh, for everything that they've done for the help with the growth of the show. So you're probably going to get a show a day here as we close on out 2018. And guys, look, you know, I always enjoy recording. So guys, uh, go ahead, check out Kevin, follow the fantastic work. Uh, It was a pleasure to have him. Definitely going to have him through the draft cycle. And I love the thought process that he brings because for me, being a little bit older, I'm a little kind of stubborn to that stuff, but I, I do love to hear it because I will shed it the light that it deserves, and it allows me to get better in my craft. The Locked On Browns Twitter account, always, guys, uh, follow back, uh, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, anything you need, you guys, like I always tell you, even if you're afraid to ask something, send a DM over there. If you feel weird about asking it where somebody's going to see it, I'll answer for you. I'm good with that. Um, follow uh, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, the show itself, uh, you know, iTunes rating reviews. Uh, guys, thank you so much. The success here as we are closing out the season has been amazing to realize and, and get an email today that you know we made the iTunes top 200. Just absolutely blew my mind. The Instagram locked on uh, NFL Network account. The Facebook locked on NFL Network account. You need them, guys. Go ahead and check them out as well. As we always say when we close the shop here at uh, Locked On Browns, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.